0: Okay, people, y'all sit back, get you a beer or a glass of tea or whatever you need because this is the outlaw Joel Deaton. And you're listening to Live and in Color with Wolfie D. Hey, this is Jimmy Street,
1: host of the Live and in Color with Wolfie D podcast. Hear the life and times of professional wrestler Wolfie D. From his time in the territories with PG-13 to his time in WWE, ECW, WCW, TNA, and more. Nothing is off limits and nothing will be held back. Thanks again for tuning in. Here he is, Wolfie D. All right.
2: Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's the first live and in color of Wolfie D of 2024. Jimmy, across the street, Happy New
3: Year.
1: Yeah, man. Happy New Year to you, too, brother. Seriously, we've made it. Wow. (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> Barely by the
1: skin of our teeth, yeah, yeah, man. Uh,
2: yeah, man. Um, it's, it's crazy 2024. When, when you was little and you heard anything past 2000, it just seemed like you know it was going to be flying cars and all that kind of stuff. And uh,
1: Jetsons, yeah, yeah, we're just not there, are we? No, nah, I mean, <laughs> I feel like I just feel like you know. I feel like we probably are there. Cause I mean, think about it like most modern cars have like the element of of like you know like they will keep you in the lane they have those little buffers where they'll keep you in the lane and i mean i feel like the element of i think all car companies probably put some of the self-driving options in their cars already but all they got to do is throw some thrusters under that bad boy and we're (laughs) flying you know imagine the amount of people that would die though if (laughs)
3: they're
1: exactly road (laughs) i know i know yeah (laughs) seriously they would Wonderful. die so fast
2: <laughs>
1: bless them uh
2: but yeah man uh we got joel deaton today that is I know. a pretty cool guest to have on man i can't wait i've actually talked to him on the phone uh, the other day and uh, that was the first time he and i had ever met and uh very nice guy man very nice guy oh
1: yeah i am i'm excited to meet him you know i grew up watching him i mean i'm serious like i've I've, I've really grown up watching that guy and it's it's awesome to me to be able to talk to him because i've heard from so many other people what a good dude he is and he was a great worker and just i mean the fire he had with him and his his hoss deaton brother you know yeah yeah i'm I'm excited i will say this y'all i am definitely dealing with something right now i've got like the croup or bronchitis or COVID or the China <laughs> flu or whatever. Yeah, you got the fucking cooties. Yeah, I've got the cooties. So y'all put up with my voice. I apologize. It's not... You know, I'm, I'm normally, you know, not sounding this bad. So thank you all for putting up with me. Wolfie's going so
2: to. Everybody might seat. sound a little bad this morning. They're probably
1: all hungover. So, yeah, exactly. It's a good <laughs> point. For some reason, the new year has brought to me some kind of sickness. So anyway, thank you all for listening and putting up with me.
2: So. <laughs> well let's uh, let's not make this too strenuous on you so uh, <laughs> we will uh, get off the get off of here and uh, get Joel on the phone and uh, we'll be back in a minute with the outlaw Joel Deaton.
1: I love it after these messages
4: Before history is written the net, the the It's played Tinelli, Before it's frozen in time in. it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday.
2: Hey, folks, to get your official Live It In Color with Wolfie D merchandise, go to ProWrestlingTees.com forward slash live D. Check it out.
1: If you're listening to Live and in Color with Wolfie D on Apple Podcast and like what you're hearing, go ahead and leave a 5-star rating. And while you're at it, write a review. Tell us what you liked, tell us what you'd like to hear in the future. It's very important to us and always appreciated. Thanks again. all right folks we are
2: back and man once again jimmy we have got some we, we've got some incredible people on here man and 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 doing some research on uh our next guest i was like wow man it's pretty cool that we got him although you know i never had the pleasure of uh, of crossing paths with him i've definitely seen his work and definitely know his name uh ladies and gentlemen uh let's welcome the outlaw joel deaton <laughs>
0: Well, hey guys, it's great to be on. But, you know, uh, and thank you for inviting me. How's everything going this, today?
2: Man, it's it's
0: going all right. Man,
2: been to the doctor one time today, uh, and and just just hanging out. I don't know. Jimmy sounds like he's a little under the weather too. So
1: yeah, if I mute myself, y'all don't hear me for a minute. I'm coughing my brains out, but <laughs> I would not miss this opportunity with Joel Deaton So we're going to do it anyway. <laughs> okay.
2: <laughs> so, Joel, man, just just the uh, shit thirty minutes ago, I, I I clicked it on YouTube and uh, I was watching Joel Deaton versus Tommy Wildfire Rich, and Tommy is somebody that I got a lot of history with, uh, personally and in the ring, and uh, it just made me think: did, did you and Tommy hang out a lot? Because I know me and Tommy hung out a lot.
0: Well, you know what? Yes. I mean, me and Tommy, we go way back, yeah. uh, you know, to the early eighties when I first met Tommy, I guess it's probably, well, actually around 79 is when I met Tommy, when I first w- went over from Lars who trained me, uh, over to Ole over there to do some TVs. And I met Tommy over there, actually probably around 1979 yeah. and through the years. Yeah. We hung out in, uh, and I've, you know, me and Tommy, we've always been friends. We, we've yeah. worked each other, you know, gosh, I couldn't even tell you how many times through the years yeah. and we've always had chemistry and, and never had any problems. And I thank a lot of Tommy and, yeah, and somebody say something about. <laughs> He's a good dude, man <laughs> Yeah, man
2: You know, I I honestly owe Tommy a lot Man, uh, you know Me and Jamie wrestled uh, him And Doug Gilbert for a while That kind of put us on the map in memphis uh you know as a tag team uh, and tommy taught us a lot but then outside the ring uh, we a lot of shenanigans went on uh with tommy and uh it, <laughs> tommy used to rib me uh, unmercifully man
0: <laughs> but all in good fun all in good fun <laughs> yeah tommy he once he gets going it's hard to slow down he's, he's funny
2: <laughs> absolutely absolutely <laughs> We had an angle where we brought my mom and his mom Peggy into the whole angle and everything. It was it was good stuff. It was real good stuff. <laughs> uh, Jimmy, I know that you have an incredible heart on right now because Joel is a Mid Atlantic guy and you love that stuff so much. So I'm gonna you know normally I kind of lead for the first little bit. I'm gonna let you. Uh, let, I know you've got so much to ask Joel. And I'm gonna I'm gonna hot tag you right now. Bam! Quick, Quick, <laughs> back into the
1: well aside from having an incredible hard-on by the way (laughs) (laughs) sorry joel no but so i read something online obviously you had your start with lars and then there was the world league wrestling and it said something about a a horrible tour of the west indies what's that all about
0: well um actually you know it it wasn't you know really that horrible i mean it, it was it was great, really, because, you know, Lars, he's all he's been, he I mean, Lars is, he's a really smart guy. And, yeah. And, you know, he's from from St. Paul, uh, Minnesota up there. A well, Minnesota guy went to college and played ball and all that and wrestled. Yeah. And anyway, what happened was uh, after we, Lars had got us trained, uh, you know, fairly well. Um, with over about a six to eight month uh, time frame. And I mean, you know, he put us through the ringer, um, uh, as far as, you know, he didn't even teach us how to lock up for two months, but anyway, <laughs> um, he got a little TV going there in Atlanta out of Smyrna, Georgia, I Think it was on channel 36, um, which later was into channel 69 with Joe Pedicino had his show on, yeah, but, yeah. Um, but we, uh, he booked the tour. What he did was this island down that I had never even heard of <laughs> the island of Antigua. Yeah.
3: He,
0: he, he, the island down there, they only had three hours of TV each day on whatever channel that they had pushing out their signal to. And there was only three hours of TV a day on that island, wow. and he ha- somehow got our little TV show out of Smyrna on for one hour each week, eight weeks in before in leading to us coming down there. Wow. So the people, then the people down there, I don't even think they had ever even heard of wrestling, yeah. or you know of any kind, yeah, because. So we hopped on a plane, and we flew down to, I think it was like St. John or St. Croix or St. Vincent or one of them islands down (laughs) in the West Indies, and we started island hopping on this, gosh, man, it had to be a 1940 or (laughs) 30-something plane, (laughs) propeller plane, that when you got up in the air, and it, I mean, it felt like he was on a, I don't know, a merry-go-round or something, and I just, you could see right up into the cockpit, and mm-hmm. and it was scary, and mm-hmm. we were just floating along, you know, to these islands, and when and we finally, when we got down to Antigua, you know, they had this hotel, and it was, it was actually a fairly decent hotel, and this, mm-hmm. of course, was in 1979, mm-hmm. and well, actually, it might have been late 78, but anyway. Mm-hmm. And so he had a ring that was built out of wood and, and all it had was a, it didn't have any, any padding whatsoever. Ugh. It just had a, it, a, a tarp over a wood Ugh. and he had it out in the middle of this field. And so when the people started coming in and I don't even know how much he charged. I still got some of that antique money, though, by the way. <laughs> but, and, and these people, there wasn't any bleachers or any seats or, any, or nothing. They just, there was like a little hillside or a bank that yeah. led around in a big circle. You know, uh, I mean, fairly long circle, oval-type circle, around where he had that ring set up. And, and so we, you know, we... we were there and of course the people were real nice of course they were all island people and and they were nice to us and all but so we had two nights of wrestling to start off with there and 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 that we had a guy that lars had helped train in smyrna that was actually Antiguan himself and his name was charles buffon Mm -hmm. now i don't know if you might can google that or and find him yeah. and what he he looked like almost identical as far as body wise and look wise mm-hmm. as Rocky Johnson. Mm. He was built built up good and he looked good. He was a nice guy but he was green. And but, you know, we all were at that point. But oh, yeah. as far as me and me and Hoss, the guy yeah. that I broke in Hoss Deaton, uh, yeah. the guy I broke in with that we became a brother team. But but so anyway, just to kind of moved story along a little bit the first night we went out there and we was in a tag match against uh charles Buffon and and some other wrestler i think his name was levi jones and he was a a little young dude that had been on the junior olympic team in amateurs so he was pretty athletic and a good guy and so we were the me and Hoss were the hills, of course, and so we went out there and had our little match and, and you know, we started healing and, and the people, you know, they they kinda got real quiet. <laughs> and you know, I don't know if anybody I'm sure you guys know about that quiet heat. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, when when you start getting that quiet heat, then it's serious. Yeah. <laughs> and so And so we we went out there and jumped Charles and just beat him down and and then them people started you know kind of leaving off the side of the bank hillway and kind of easing a little bit closer and closer and closer and we didn't have a lot of there was security there <laughs> but they didn't you know they didn't really know nothing about wrestling either but yeah. you know Lark had kind of you know conveyed to them hey you know you got to walk us to and from the real stuff and so we actually had to cut the match short because we were both getting worried,
3: <laughs> and but we, you
0: know, we got through it and went, got back to the building that we came out of, and I don't, I don't know if it was a schoolhouse or something kind of building we, yeah, dressing rooms were in, but the next night, so we have a return match. Did y'all Charles. did y'all go over in that first match as heels? Did you did you screw them? Yeah, we got disqualified. Okay, all right. You know, so we beat Charles up and threw the referee out the ring. So they, and everything you think of. Yeah, yeah. And so, but we coming back the next night in a rematch with them. Mm-hmm. And so, Charles and them, they they go out to the ring first, and, and they're out there. Him and Levi, and they're jumping around, waving crowd and getting the cheers and you know Charles was like I said he was an antique one so he was over mm-hmm. even though I don't know if the people knew him or not but they knew he was <laughs> a, an antique one yeah. and so when it comes time for us to come out of the dressing room these two armed guards with rifles are standing <laughs> in the doorway and so then and come out down the hall to come out to go out into the field you know, to the ring, and they turn and get shoulder to shoulder with their rifles up, and oh. they will not let us out of the, of the door to go to the ring, because they thinking we're going to beat Charles up again. <laughs> and I mean, they stood there, and stood their ground, and we, like, tried to go around them and tried to actually put my hands on one of them to try to move him out of the way, and they wasn't budging. (laughs) So finally, one of the other promoters, well, Lars was actually the promoter, him and a friend of his, they came out and, 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 and kind of, you know, got them, guards to move move and let us out and, and we went on out to the ring and let me tell you <laughs> we we turned into baby faces real quick we didn't do <laughs> any kind of hit we put it we flew for them all over that ring <laughs> and we didn't do anything illegal just about because man it really it was too afraid to <laughs> yeah no doubt <laughs> but 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 you know and after and this and oh and by the way antique was a beautiful island and all those islands down there are Not bad. and we later on when that went on down into uh let's see um barbados and trinidad and all down in there but um mm-hmm. but yeah it was just uh, you know it was just i was Seventy nine. I was twenty two years old. So, yeah. I mean, I ain't never been nowhere, and so it was, you know. And I'm just so happy. I took a b- lot of pictures. And I still have them, you know, That's from awesome. that all that stuff. And, but we, yeah, we, I, we really enjoyed it. And, um, and it was a, uh, you know, first time ever leaving the country and going anywhere like that or doing anything yeah. like that. And, and afterwards, that- the matches were over. You know, this, this, these couple of guys come and guide us and took us through the jungle <laughs> down. And it must've been at least a mile, a mile and a half. And I'm thinking, my <laughs> God, they're going <laughs> to hang us oh out here <laughs> in this jungle somewhere. But they took us down to some little building. It was a wood building set up not far off the beach. And they had a big disco speaker, uh, DJ system set up out on the beach yeah. and they were playing disco music and all kind of music loud yeah. out out there on that beach and people all them native antigos were out there dancing and having a good time and i mean and they were really friendly and they they showed us the best time That's and cool. uh, it is it really was it's something i'll always remember and yeah and then they you know they after we took got through, they took us back. We had to go back through the jungle on a path that <laughs> was hardly, you know, three feet wide. Yeah. And I'm thinking the Jaguar or something's going to jump right. on me the right. whole time. <laughs> you know, because it was pitch black dark. And, yeah. But they got us back to the hotel and, and I think we stayed in Antigua about three or four days before we left and went to, to another island. But yeah, but yeah that, that was, you know, basically... I'm going to from, from <laughs> being down there in Antigua. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah.
2: The different countries, man, is, is so weird when you're, cause I was like you, when, when I went to Puerto Rico, I was 19 years old and it, it wasn't, you know, this, it was 1994. So what, five, six, seven years before, uh, or after, uh, Brody got stabbed. And so the whole time down there, I'm thinking, okay uh, you know really watch yourself but yeah I, I i did a i did a thing down there and had to <laughs> had to run from the island but anyway
0: it's a, <laughs> it's a <whole> thing. Well, <laughs> you know what uh, you know I, I saw uh uh frank uh, bruiser you know about 2 weeks working for joe padellino i saw him about 2 weeks before that happened mm-hmm. before i went to japan Mm-hmm. On one of my tours. And, you know, uh, me and Halls went to Puerto Rico in, I think, it was 81. Uh-huh. But we wor- we worked for a guy named Centron, who okay. was running opposition to Carlos. All right. And I, I didn't know who Carlos Colon was. I didn't know who he was. I didn't know, barely knew w- what Puerto Rico was or where it was. And anyway... You know, he brought us over there, and he put us up in a little condo, and I think he paid us like 300 a week, and we we ran four shows a week. Yeah. And we stayed over there about five months. Mm-hmm. And, and you know what? And this is funny. One <laughs> night, he comes to me, and he says, Joe, tonight you cut. <laughs> and I said, I said, what? <laughs> he said, tonight you cut and i didn't know the first thing about blading or getting <laughs> juice or nothing like that yeah. and i but then it you know it dawned on me what he was talking about and i said no i'm not going to cut myself you know <laughs> i mean i was young green i did, i didn't know nothing about making no blades and cutting myself or nothing Yeah. And, I, and so i just refused and then he <laughs> took his hands and started slapping them back together. He said, okay, we finished the booking then. I said, fine. Send my ass the hell back home. <laughs> and he did. <laughs>
2: so so did you learn after that? Did you figure like, okay, I should have or I should have or you're just like, fuck it,
0: I'm glad I didn't. Well, you know, in retrospect, I probably should have figured out a way and, 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 and did it. But, you know, Lars had never, you know, really got into that part of the business with us. And, and I, before that, I mean, I had been, you know, like out in San Antonio for Joe Blanchard, Tully's dad, working in Southwest Championship Wrestling, and Hussein the Butcher was one of the mainstays out there, and and, mm-hmm. and he, you know, he he bladed a lot and and other people and stuff, but yeah. but I, I still had never done it up to that point, and and so I wasn't, it wasn't something that was. You know, done like on a nightly basis, like yeah. you know, in the Florida territory or Georgia, or yeah. or even probably Memphis or some oh, other, sure. other places. <laughs> yeah. So you know, I wasn't real big on, and you know, in my whole career, which started in late '78, mm-hmm. I am probably, I probably, I know, bladed probably, probably a couple of dozen times, and that's really? about it, man. Really? You know, if I couldn't get the story told and the match over just on my ability, I I didn't ever think we needed blood. I yeah. Mean, but I mean, blood was a big part of the business in those days. But
3: Yeah.
2: Yeah. Hell, even even when I got in, in, uh, you know, the early 90s, very late 80s, uh, it was just a thing in Memphis, man. And, and, you know, me and you talked about Jamie earlier. I mean, he usually took the heat and I'd get the hot tag, but I was always the one to get color. <laughs> and <laughs> I, I kind of I mean, I, you know, back in the day, they used to call it queer for the blade and I guess I kind of developed that where, man, it, and, and then I always heard people say, you know, red equals green, all that kind of stuff, you know, and for us, yeah. it did, you know, um, and I I don't know, I guess just growing up on it and
0: watching it, and uh, I don't know,
2: maybe felt cool
0: or something, I don't know. <laughs> you know what, and it's funny, you know, I've, of course, been around, I've, I've had countless matches with Abdullah, and and I did get, that's what a match on YouTube with me and him over in Japan where I got some color for him. And, uh-huh. and he told, looked at me after I got that color and he said, God, what'd you do? Put some fingernail polish or something on you <laughs> because I didn't get, get, but a little bit <laughs> and you know, and it was funny. Abby used to sit on the bus and we, we used to always play head up poker in the back of the bus, two of uh-huh. us over there all the time, but anyway. <laughs> and Abby, we used to sit there and we'd be playing head up, and and he'd look at me and he'd say, I got to cut. Mm-hmm. I'd say, mm-hmm. What? He'd say, I got to cut. I said, What are you talking about? <laughs> he'd say, I got to cut. And I said, Oh, I said, Well, Abdullah, we're about to get to the town, and, you know, because he played it every night. Yeah, know? yeah. And I, it was just funny to hear him sit there and say, <laughs> I got to cut. That's I another thing. He, he was addicted to it. Yeah. Uh,
2: didn't he? And I never worked him. I was just around him. Uh, but didn't he? He wore him on his fingers, right?
0: And like when he touched you, he'd cut you, wouldn't he? Yeah. If he wasn't careful, if he grabbed you a wrist or tried to slip, throw you into the turn box or the ropes or something, and, you know, sometimes it'd nick you. Yeah. You know, no, and, but he, he was pretty, he was pretty professional. I mean, my God, the thousands of times he cut himself, he, he should be a pro with, <laughs> at it, you know, but yeah, yeah, there was uh, you know, a time or two, he nicked me a little bit with that, with that blade on his finger. Yeah. Uh,
3: hey,
2: let me ask you but, this. Uh, I noticed something about you and this was, uh, like when I was watching that Tommy Rich match with you and him, it reminded me of, of seeing you uh, as a younger kid, it looks like you got a tear in your peck. How did that happen?
0: Well, you know what? What happened was with that, and and let me you know let me say that you know my father he was a he was a professional pro football player with Detroit Lions and all American at South Carolina and wow. and a big track discus thrower and everything else in college and he was an athlete. That's where I got my. Athletic genes yep. from was from my dad, but somehow or another and I never really even noticed it till I started becoming a teenager and all. And let me tell you what happened to my left peck was I was born without one. Really? Yes. Wow. And you know I, I have the top pec, the little the little top yeah. pec, and you can if you look close, you can see that I, I have a little. Like over where the where the bottom pec's supposed to be, you yeah. can see a little indention of of a of, of a muscle there, and that's the, your top pec. Right. And I had that, but I, I was born without a but I don't left pec. Oh shit. So when I would do bench presses and work out and thing, you know, it made me look disproportional yeah. because my right of course, would build up and start getting big, but it would just make everything look even more deformed kind of looking. And, you know, I, I had a complex about that. And that's one of the reasons I think when Dusty gave me the Thunderfoot gimmick, he told me he wanted me to cover, have everything covered up because yep. I worked in there in Mid-Atlantic for like almost three years, you know, as Joel Deaton before Right, yeah. I got that thunderfoot gimmick, and I never wore, you know, I just wore regular trunks and no right. shirt, like, you know, and I don't know, I guess, you know, people noticed it, but, I, you know, nobody ever screamed out from the crowd and, and, you know, made any smart-ass remarks about it or nothing to yeah. me my whole career, really, but it is noticeable, and that is the story on why that's, my chest. That's crazy,
2: that's crazy, i I' never heard of that before, that, uh, I always thought, I always thought you tore it because uh, yeah. i'd seen you know paul orndorff and well you uh,
0: know what that's what i that's what i would lie and say <laughs> you know because i did have some of the boys through the years say something about it and i'd say oh well i tore it over in puerto rico and never got it
3: fixed <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's funny. Just, just
2: to shut them it, up you know speaking <laughs> of the thunderfoot thing uh I always loved, and Jimmy knows this, and the listeners know this. I was, yes. I, I love mask gimmicks. I love yeah. mask gimmicks, and yeah. I especially love the loaded boot gimmick because oh, yes. now yes. that I think about it, like you know, older and plus being in the business of stuff, it's like, what did the fans really think was happening there? You stomp the toe, yeah. and what kind of contraption did you think they thought you
0: had in there?
2: It was, <laughs> well,
0: yeah. I, I'll tell you. <laughs> the story about Thunderfoot, <laughs> right, And how it came about, real quick. And so, like I said, after I came into to Jim Crockett Promotions in '83, and I think we came in there from working for Leroy McGork out of Tulsa, uh, out there, the uh, tri-state wrestling. When we had Scandor Actnor as Akbar as our manager, but anyway, we called Dory it was a committee thing in the Carolinas going on at the time, Dory and, and, uh, I don't know, Paul Jones, there were several bookers like a booking at the time. Each one of them had a different state, North yeah. South Carolina, North Carolina, Virginia, and so forth, West Virginia. And, uh, so Dusty calls me in his, in his office one day. And he said, he says, sure. He says, you know, you, you've been doing, working hard, doing good for us and blah, blah, blah. And, he said, uh, we want to give you a promotion. We're going to promote from within, if you will. If you will. And, uh, well, and, uh, you know, we, we think you've been doing a good job for us and we don't want to give you promotion. He said, what I want you to do is I want you to get a mask and, and get a, and, and get a a suit, you know, and cover, a uh, cover everything, uh, your legs, you know, your chest, your arm, cover everything up. Uh, mm-hmm. And, uh. I want you to do the old Inferno's gimmick, where you have a loaded boot and a built-up boot, and, you know, and I didn't want to sound like a complete dumbass to Dusty in there because I was thinking, and he said, oh, and we're going to let JJ be your manager, mm. you know, get you started with this thing. And I said, well, okay. And I'm, the whole time I'm sitting there thinking, well, who in the hell are Inferno's and what in the hell... What he mean by built up boot? And he he even stood up out of his chair behind the desk and hopped and and like he was loading his tennis shoe and said you load you load your boot like the old fernos and and then you kick them with them you know. And I said, well, okay. So I got JJ off to the side and said, tell me who the hell the fernos were and what how does how do I do this? (laughs) <laughs> and so JJ kind of he laughed and he kind of explained to me what was going on, what Dusty wanted,
3: mm-hmm.
0: and so I said, "Well, I called a uh, K and H out there, K and uh, They used to make the uh, yeah, I remember that was yeah, very old." And and, that and, was and I told f- told him what I wanted, yeah, and I and then I called Ash and had him make me a boot, you know, and I told him I said I wanted about about three and a half, four inches on, on the right boot, you know, the sole. Mm-hmm. And then the other one, you know, regular size, and mm-hmm. he said, okay. And, and that's what he sent me and everything. And, and so, you know, I think for the, for the whole outfit, the boots and everything, you know, it's like four or $500 and, yeah. and hell, I wasn't making a lot of money. Right. In there at that time. And to tell you the truth, the territory was down when I first went in there in 83. Yeah. But anyway, so I had to pay for it out of my pocket and, you know, and I ended up having about seven or eight different color, you know, outfits, uh, Thunderfoot outfits and stuff. And I wish I had a a better mask design, but hell, I didn't know anything about freaking masks or (laughs) nothing. I really, I, I, Never really 100% enjoyed the mask. You said you like the mask, but me, you know, I always liked just working with with no masks. And there's another story about that later on. Well, I I mean, the,
2: the thing is, the thing is, I just thought it looked cool. You know,
0: I was always a fan of like comic
2: books and superheroes and stuff like that. And so the mask to me was, was just cool looking, but I understand. And I have worked in one before, you know, as far as wrestling goes, it's better to have your face exposed so you can sell and all that kind of stuff. But, uh, um, yeah, that's, that's why I liked it, you know, and, and just the, the whole gimmick thing. I, I miss the days of, and I put this over, uh, uh on the show. I don't know, Jimmy, was it last week or something about that, that kid, Logan Paul, uh, on WWE, he finished a match with a champion. I was like, holy shit, WWE just used the chain. Are you kidding me?
3: <laughs>
2: and they don't do yeah, that. All the old school games, man.
0: Yeah, they're so scared with that stuff nowadays that they just, you know, everybody's so lawsuit-oriented about, you know, getting hurt or something happens, that they just yeah. cut out so much stuff. It To me, it's not even really... I mean, I don't want to get into that, but I mean, I just don't enjoy enjoy today's product. No, I wish near as much as I did the oh, old no. stuff. Yeah, I'm I'm with never. you. And the thing yeah. is, it's it's.
2: I think the problem is that I feel like the the this generation is like, oh well, uh, everybody knows we're working, so you know, let's do whatever you know. And I I don't believe that that's. Yes, they know we're working, but I promise you, and I'm sure you would agree with me, that if you're good enough, you can still work them. I mean, to, if it's if it's for a couple of minutes or, or whatever,
0: you can still work them. Yeah, I, you know what? I agree with that. But I think it goes all back to the basics and the fundamentals and, yeah. and who Amen. you were trained with. by and, the, and for the life of me... And I don't mean to put down today's wrestling too far, and this is all just my opinion, but yeah, some of that stuff they do and the punches they throw, um, my God, are you kidding me? They're terrible. You know, you know, <laughs> you know, to you know Bob Cook, you know I, yeah. me and Bob had a kind of similar career. We were always kind of above average workers, and and we could you know with a little help. Probably went a lot further, both of us, than we did. Even though I'm very proud of the career I did have. Yeah. But you know, Bob just throws to me, you know, the best punch in the business. You know, it's him, great. Jerry Lawler yeah. throws a great punch, Jerry, and there thank were many. You. Thank you, yeah, Jerry Lawler. Um, many people through the through the years that threw good punches, and yeah, and you know, and Bob was an outstanding worker, and his punches were just fantastic. You cannot see through them. No, they're great. If, yeah. No, if they're sold like properly, then you know it looks like you just knocked guys out. You know? And yeah. yeah, yeah. And that's but, the thing
2: they all throw the they throw the forearm now, and you know, I mean, I'm not a fan of that. I mean, whatever. I, I guess it's uh, you can relate it to okay, the punch is illegal, but they don't they don't think about that. They just can't throw a punch, so they th- <laughs> they throw the the forearm or right. Not. Right. Nobody can. If, uh, yeah. If you had to work Memphis and you couldn't throw a punch, you weren't getting over. That's just uh, straight <laughs> up.
0: Well, I mean, you know what? The fans don't get as much credit as they should. They're not stupid. Right. No. I mean, they, they can see, and that's the, what my mindset when I went out there is: I don't want these people to sit out there and holler, "Oh, that was fake," or Hell, "Did not. you see that?" or something like. Everything I did. I wanted them people to believe. Yeah. And so if I couldn't do something and make it believable, I didn't even do it. Yeah. And you want you want your opponent,
2: you want to sell his shit so good that they believe that too. That's the other thing is I, I'm going yes. thinking thinking, I mean, yes, I want to do my stuff, but I also want to make you look good so that I look good. And I think that's a lost part of it.
0: Yes, it, I believe that too. But, and i tell you something else. If I, of course, most of the time when you're working with someone, you've seen this work before or, yeah. you know, and, and if there's things that, that they do that are not that believable or, yeah. and I get out there with them and they throw something at me and, and I know that it looked bad or something, then I, if I do sell it, they're lucky. Yeah,
3: yeah, (laughs)
0: yeah. You know, and because I always, you know, like to put it in there. You know, stuff across the chest and across the back, and I mean, you could pound somebody and not hurt them across the chest and back, and that's the way I used to love to, to, you know throw the opponent outside the ring and and get out there and pound on him right in front of the people sitting in the ringside, you know, and just you could look on their faces and tell they believed what you were doing. Exactly. Exactly. And that just makes makes you feel good to know you're doing your job, right? When you can look out there and see, you know, have people out there crying on the front row and calling you every kind of son of a bitch in the book and (laughs) (laughs) just, uh, it's just you know that kind of thing that inspired me to work harder and to mm-hmm. and to do the best i could to to get over what i was out there you know to do yeah, yeah exactly i love that man because i think that's the reason that when
2: i when i broke in and and everything that the, a lot of the older guys like accepted me because i took on that mentality and the reason why some of the newer people don't understand what i'm trying to tell them you know what i mean but uh jimmy uh are you with us are you i'm, are I'm you still here brother. okay all right and i'm here so i know you got some spots written down so uh go ahead
1: <laughs> so obviously you've done the Thunderfoot gimmick for Crockett. You work with Gene and then of course David isley takes that over. But what I really enjoyed, and I've recently found this because I've recently gotten to know guys like Tommy Angel and David isley and I found on YouTube Nelson Royals Atlantic Coast Wrestling, and this this is a hidden gem, y'all. And this is where you can see the Outlaw Deaton Brothers and brother. Y'all are cutting killer promos. Y'all are getting good matches on that show. I'm a big fan of that. What do you think maybe didn't catch on? Was it the end of the territories did it? Or what do you
0: think didn't
1: catch on for Nelson's promotion?
0: Well, you know what? I don't know because when when me and Halls first went in there, you know, he had some pretty good talent uh, yeah. going on up there, and his TV production was pretty good. And Rick, uh, what was the announcer's name, Rick? Uh, gosh, his name was Rick. I can't I can see his face. I can't call his last name, but he was a good announcer. And, yes, and yes. And, I, you know, one thing, if you heard, you know, me and Hoss doing some interviews, tell me, I mean, Hoss had a gift for gab, and he could make you believe his interview. I don't know if you heard you know, you say you heard a couple of our interviews, but Hoss was just exceptional right, on right. on the microphone and and he was he could make you believe what he was saying. And you know, I did okay and 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 I always through the some of these other promotions, you know, like when we were young and, and kinda green and around in these different territories, you know, of course the older, you know. Wrestlers and the vets, you know, they did most of that kind of stuff, and we'd get a little bit of airtime as far as doing interviews and stuff. But I always, you know, I had a pretty decent gift for gab, and I could talk. And there's some stuff on YouTube of me doing interviews. But Hoss was just off the chain with his interviews. Yeah, he was great. And he yep. is. He was really good. And he—it's a shame he, somebody didn't take him because he was a big six foot six, three hundred pounder. I mean he was a Stan Hansen type. Right. What would you, you know, think that and, was? What do you think that was? Why didn't Well, you know, I think what hurt him the most was when we first left Tulsa for Tri State up there for Leroy and came into to Crockettland, you know, he they tagged us up, you know, as the Dean brothers and stuff, but They never would give us any kind of, we were just strictly underneath and, and, and was a, was a, uh, was an amateur heavyweight champ for the state of Georgia in high school and also wrestled in college. And he couldn't get it through his head that, you know, Hey, this pro wrestling, you know, it's a work, you know, I mean, (laughs) and he thought because he could kick some, somebody's ass in about. Two minutes that we were working against, he he didn't like having to sell and put them over, <laughs>
3: <laughs>
0: you know, and, and and he just got kind of this I don't know the word. He just kind of made him. He didn't like having. He didn't, he felt like we should have been used better than we were at the time that we were brought into Crockett Land, and and so he just basically left, yeah, quit, you know, and I stayed. And uh, and I, you know, the first uh, probably four or five months I was I was in the territory that in Crockett Land. We were wrestling in uh, Hendersonville, North Carolina, and I had a a match with this guy called Benny Valentino. I don't know if you remember that name, but
1: I've heard of it. Yeah.
0: Anyway, we had a little single match. It was underneath first, second, third match, something. And we got out there wrestling around, and the match was going okay, and then he tried to put a. Uh, abdominal stretch on me or something, and we both got off balance and kind of fell with our legs <laughs> tangled up. And somehow, <laughs> I when I fell, I, my leg was still hooked into his, and and it and it fractured my my ankle. Mm. Oh, and I was like, damn. And so you know, I rolled out of the ring, and I I couldn't get up and really walk, and I was you know like you know limping and trying to make it back to the dressing room and. And they helped me back to the dressing room and, and I can't remember who I rode to the town with, but I do remember this, you know, Wahoo was sitting in there when they brought me in there and, and I sat down there in the chair in the dressing room and, and kind of, you know, put my leg out and was kind of looking at it and it had already swelled. And, and so Wahoo said, well, hey kid, you can ride back with me. And I said, okay. He said, he said, well, how you? How, how is it? And I said, well, it's hurting like hell. <laughs> so he reaches over there in his bag and and takes a pill bottle out, and throws three or four pills. See, I didn't know about pills and shit like that back then. Yeah. And, and yeah. he handed me two or three pills of some kind. He said, "Here, kid, take these." And I said, "Well, okay." <laughs> and so he helped me out to the car and put me in his car. And, and so we went right to the first store, and he went in there and bought a whole bag of of ice came out and put it on my ankle and taped it around my ankle a whole bag and <laughs> and it's about a two and a half hour ride back to charlotte from there and so we ride on back you know to charlotte and, he, and so he takes you to the mercy room at one of the hospitals there you know to go in and get to get it an x-rayed stuff and by the time we got there i was so buzzed out from whatever it was he gave me when these people got me in there and and took that tape off my ankle with that bag of ice which had about almost all melted by then my ankle was almost frostbit wow and i couldn't even feel it because of whatever it was he gave me you know
3: <laughs>
0: and anyway I, I got another great wahoo story but i'll tell that that happened to happen in florida but but anyway yeah that's kind of how i got started in mid-atlantic and then after a while that committee looking you know like uh it was dory funk and and uh ernie Ladd and and uh i think uh god once well, got had plane crash down in Florida with Bob Shane. Gary Hart. Hart, He was he fucking he had one of the states and anyway. Um Gary Hart is one of uh Jimmy's idols
2: because Jimmy uh got into the business and did some did some outlaw stuff and uh he modeled himself after
0: Gary Hart. Gary was a great manager. Yeah, yeah, and he always brought in you know the Kabukis and the and all these weird you know Kamalas and people like that. The, yeah, these weird you know Orientals and and just different. I mean, he managed some regular guys too, but Gary had a great mind for the business, and he was you know he he in my opinion he was he was a you know he's he's in the in top ten greatest managers, if not top five. Yeah, yeah.
1: Let me ask you this, because about fifty percent of the guys we ask this question really don't like Gary. What do you think it is that's uh, everybody's so split on him? What do you think?
0: On Gary Hart? Yeah. Well, because Gary, I'll tell you a funny story. Gary, uh, he he was total k and he would even k the boys if they wasn't smartened up to his. Desire, or or you know, and if and he was like very intelligent, and I tell you, when he was when I first got in there, and, and Kabuki was in there in Mid Atlantic when you know after a little while after I was in there, and and Gary Hart was managing, and and Kabuki was spitting that you know that the that mist. fog
3: yeah. shit,
0: that mist that he would do and everything, and one 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 time after they came back from a match, you know I Gary him sit there and I said Gary. I said how does he do that I said how does he wrestle out there for 15 10 15 minutes 20 minutes and then you know spit that mist out of his mouth like that how does he keep it in his mouth all that time and he said <laughs> he said he had he had some some surgically implanted uh, <laughs> like uh, like a, like a hose that you mash and squirts water out and he said, that's how he spits it out, you know, because me being about still about half marked to ask a stupid question like that. But that's what he told me, oh and I God. believed it. Yeah, you know, And funny. I believed it, and I just said, oh, well, okay. And, but as far as, as far as people not liking Gary, you know, I never heard really anybody talk bad about Gary. And actually, when I first went into Charlotte, and didn't have no money and didn't have no place to stay well oliver opportunity told me i could come stay over at his apartment he had a four-bedroom apartment and him and gary hart and bob orton jr and tully was all stayed in that apartment and, and i slept on the couch And he let me stay there for two or three months, you know, before I save up a little money to get out and get my own place. And but no, I I mean I always got along with Gary and love loved to sit around and listen to all those guys talk and tell stories and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Let's take a
2: quick time out and get a word from one of my dope ass sponsors, and we'll be right back with more live in color with Wolfie D.
5: down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, get 20, 20, get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at
1: mintmobile.com. Support for Live and In Color with Wolfie D is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped recently launched the ultimate men's hygiene bundle, the Performance Package. Join over four million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer for you. 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code Wolfie at manscaped.com. If my math's correct, that's about eight million balls.
2: you
4: need the rock star realtor
1: benji is a member of exit realty's garden gate team in gallatin tennessee well i don't think we could talk to joel deaton without getting into all japan right i mean Uh, for sure man
2: yeah that's where we were going next
1: yeah now i mean you went the wild bunch with billy black you know, you're all Japan run. I saw you work Giant Baba like 10 times over there, maybe more, but I just counted a few. How was, I mean, you know, that's the boss, right? So you're going to, you're probably going to go big for that chop of his and stuff like that. How was it, how was it getting to Japan and how was it working over there? I tell you
0: what, and this is the absolute truth. Well, first I'll tell you how, how I got to, to be able to go over there. Well, me and Gene, Dusty had had made Gene Thunderfoot 2. I yeah. was Thunderfoot 1 for about the first year with J.J. Me and J.J. and Buddy Landell were like, that was Jay, who J.J. was managing. And then, um, so they brought Gene in and made him Thunderfoot 2. And they had the Jim Crockett Memorial Tag Team Tournament coming up. And so we we won the required match or matches to get into the tournament. And so we were going around and this and that. So we're in Baltimore, I think, for the blow off, and and Giant Baba had brought one of his young boys over there to be in the tournament, you know, with everybody else, and and so we we walked. They had him off in another dressing room. He had his own place there, and and so Nelson Royal took. Uh, and me and Jean, we were dressed up in our Thunderfoot stuff and everything. And he brought us over there and introduced us to Baba. And so, you know, and we I was just like in awe and, and, uh, so I, you know, I introduced uh, I said, nice to meet you, Mr. Baba. Um, and I had talked to Nelson beforehand and asked him, you know, well, what kind of money, you know, should I ask, you know, if he were to. Give me a tour over there and something. He said, Well, normally, you know, for you know, guys that aren't big stars and stuff, you know, it's like fifteen hundred a week and yeah. so and this was in eighty seven. Mm. So I thought, Well shit, fifteen hundred a week, that ain't bad if you agree to it. But anyway, so you know, get with our introductions and all, and I said, Mr. Baba, would you could you please book me in a on a tour to, to Japan to come and wrestle for you, sir, you know? And he, I think this was like in maybe January, late January, February or something. And he he got his book out and he started looking through his book and he, he thumbed through it a minute. And then he looked up and said, you come Japan in August. Mm. And I thought to myself, August, I said, damn, that's like, six or seven months away you can't do it no no sooner than that but I didn't say that and I, said, right. I, I said well August okay I didn't know that I was damn lucky that, that he even booked me right you know, <laughs> what do I want to sound like complaining about not getting over that winter than <laughs> that yeah so I said oh okay well thank you sir he said i'm he said how much you know you you guarantee and I said well I said is 1500 okay he said yes this is okay Ah. And I said, well, thank you, sir. And then, you should have you know, went for think, two or three thank that. <laughs> thank Nelson for, for you know, getting me in and getting me booked on, and everything. And yeah, and so, you know, the first, uh, so August rolled around and we, you know, we got on a plane in Atlanta and we flew to L.A. And they had a, he had a, a, a Japanese guy out there that would meet us and he would give us our visa's to go over, you know, in Japan and work as an entertainer. And we, and, and we would, uh, so we would get the visas and everything. And then we'd get on the uh, plane and, and, you know, and I think it's, I think it's 10 and a half hours over there and like 11 and a half back. But anyway, that's another story. So I'm going to tell you, you know, when, when we first got over there, you know, of course they, Bobby puts up in a, in a nice four-star hotel and, and it, you know, right in Tokyo, you know, Tokyo is the biggest city in the world, 20 million people in a 30 mile radius. And, Mm. you know, it's like a giant ant farm. Mm. (laughs) I mean, people come up out of the underground, you know, like ants, you know, in subways and they have, they have big old shopping centers underground and just, you just wouldn't believe what off under underground over there, but um, uh, but anyway, so you fly in that night, and then then the next day, you have you know, we u- usually had our first match in Corky and Hall over there at the first day, day of the next day after you get there of the tour. Yeah. And that was my first time wrestling in Cork and Hall, which is such a great venue, and so you know, I didn't really know I had wrestled. Antonio Inoki over in Hawaii. Matter of fact, me and Hoss wrestled him and Andre Mm. over in the Blaisdell arena in Honolulu back when Lars were promoting over there for Leah Mavia, uh, the the Rock's grandmother over there back in 85. And we came back and wrestled in uh, the... Aloha Stadium, where they play the Pro Bowl every year, you know, another, that same year over there. But anyway, that's another story, too. And I yeah, we got stories so many, man. over there. <laughs> but anyway, so, you know, so we went, and, and I forgot, I think the first night, for some reason, in every, I mean, I'm sure you guys know Stan Hansen's uh, yeah. repertoire over in Japan. Yeah. But they, Boba put me tagging, oh, and before – before, when he told me, and gave me, you know, told me I was booked to come back, come to Japan that August. He told me, he said, but don't wear, you know, don't wear a mask or, or uniform. He said, don't, don't bring none of that shit over. Just regular, you know, boots and tights. And Joe. you know, and I, I said, hell yeah. Nah. I want it that way anyway. So anyway, so we go out the first night and I'm in a tag with Stan. And so. You know, and Stan is like a 300-pound bull <laughs> <laughs> that never gets tired. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And if you can't keep up with him, then, you know, you won't be his partner for very long. and i remember the first night out there and we're out there and we're tagging back and forth and i'm going wide open trying to keep up and do my best and i got somebody no somebody got me down in the hole and i can't remember who it was and so i laid there in the hole for about i didn't think it was very long you know maybe 30 seconds or something (laughs) i was moving around trying to counter it or whatever and he still had me in the hole well stan comes in the ring and stalks me in the head about three or four times and says, Get up and fight, Deedon. Get up and fight. You know, so he didn't have to tell me more than that. And, you know, I hopped my ass up and got out of whatever hole I was they had me in and just followed his lead and fought my ass off. And I'm going to tell you, you know, (laughs) my tours after that, he bobby tagged me in stand-up quite a bit over there, you know, and I had over 500 matches over there and 23 (laughs) tours. And when I went to Japan and, and kept going back, that told me why, why God made me a pro wrestler Uh. was experiencing that culture. And, and that I had never seen that kind of pro wrestling before. Mm. And, and, and it was one of those deals where Baba wanted you to, you know, produce a lot of offense, and he wanted you moving and fighting back, and not like you having to do these five-minute jobs and on TV, and yeah. and just you know, with these so-called top stars over here. I don't care who you in the ring with over there. He wanted you moving and fighting back, and yeah. there wasn't no laying down and putting over every little damn thing, overselling top guys' stuff, and you were on an even-level kill with anybody you worked with over there. Yeah. And so, you know, he expected you to, you know, to, no matter what level you might have been in over there, he wanted you out there fighting your best. And another thing is the fans. For some reason I connected with those fans emotionally on a level over there. And they got behind me even though I was an underdog a lot. And the win, lose, or draw, they always, you know, gave me respect. What do you think that is? Why do you think that is? Well, because they can they're sitting out there watching you yeah, And they they, they all grow up on judo and sumo and yeah. karate and all these contact sports over there. Mm-hmm. And let me tell you, if you don't give them something and lay your stuff in over there where they can hear it smack yeah. and pound and they're going to sit on their hands, they're not going to give you any kind of let me ask admiration that, for, for anything you do. Yeah.
2: Let me ask you this. What is your athletic background? Like as a kid, as a
0: high schooler, college, whatever, what is your athletic background? Well, I tell you what, when I was coming up, of course, I played recreation football program. they had here in this town, Warner Robins, where I live here in Georgia. Mm -hmm. But, and I did, you know, great in that. And I was always a little big for my size, but I really excelled in baseball. I mean, I was hitting, you know, towering home runs over the pine <laughs> trees in, in this little, little league uh, yeah. field we played in. And, and I won all kind of more awards than anybody every year. Yeah. And and I was even recruited on a scholarship to Ole Miss it was for football and baseball. To the football team here, Warner Robins the Demons, I don't know if you ever heard of those, but we've won the state championship. And they have even been the the uh, consensus national championship number one high school team in the nation a couple of times here wow uh, wow yeah the Warner Robinson you, you look them up but anyway we we what position uh, did you play I played uh I played tight end on offense and linebacker on defense nice. and some some defensive tackle but so I went all Miss and played a little bit but I messed around and got about a, I was in school out there about a year and a half and, and I, uh, got my girlfriend pregnant and this was in like 77. And so, you know, I, I had to, I had to make some money to, you know, support her and my, and my young daughter. And so I left college and that's when I came back to Atlanta and started working as a personal trainer in the, in this place, these places called European health spa. They were like a chain, uh, gym, like spot things. They had them all over and that's where I met Lars and that's how, you know, I got started and everything. But, but anyway, so yeah, I was, I've been, you know, an athlete since I was old enough to throw a ball and I've always been good. I even played a lot of people don't know this. But I even played in Charlotte. Uh, they had a double-A baseball team there for the Baltimore Orioles called the Charlotte O's. Yeah, yeah. And, and Francis Crockett, Jim and David Crockett's sister, was the general manager of that team. And they all heard how I was good in baseball and stuff. So I went out there and tried out for them a little and played a few uh, preseason games with the Charlotte O's there in Charlotte wow and then and then also uh over in japan uh, baba took us i think it was on my second tour somebody pulled up at the hotel and they come got me out of my room and said joe come come on and so we went (laughs) down and got in the car and they took us you know on a little trip through tokyo till we got in front of this big dome stadium and i didn't even realize it was a tokyo dome at the time but it but it was uh, and so they were having a charity baseball game between like these these teams like there was a there was a there was a movie star team <laughs> made up of like japanese um uh movie stars and Jack Chan, uh, probably and you could go on YouTube and look that up, and there's some a few highlights of that with me playing first base on that yeah. in that first game we played, and I was the only guy, Gene, or foreigner that played in that in that charity game. Just that first, there were four teams, and and man, there was about thirty thousand people in that damn stadium. And, wow. So I played, you know, like first base, of that first game. And then I think it was 88 when the Rock and Roll Express were on the tour. Same tour with me. They had another charity baseball game in the Tokyo Dome. And they asked them to, to come and play in it too, that game. And so we're sitting back in the dressing room. And Bob, we, I mean, they give us brand new uniforms, cleats, gloves, hats, everything. And Bob says, Joe come here and he waved me over and so I come over and he had a baseball in his hand and he took that baseball and tossed it over there to me and I caught it and he looked at me and said Joe tonight you pitcher <laughs> and this <laughs> is fast pitch baseball now right right and uh, I said and I ain't touched the baseball in about 10 years but you know I mean I was always good at baseball and so yeah. I just said well okay <laughs> and we went out there, and I got about 10 warm-up throws because this thing was televised all over Japan. And I still really? have the tape of that somewhere, and it's never that been is- shown. And I can't believe it since 88. Nope Somebody hasn't put that on YouTube. But wow. I still have because at the end of that tour, those guys that did that TV production came and brought me and Ricky and Robert all a DVD, not DVD, but a VHS tape of that whole thing. I mean, they let us out of the tunnel with a marching band and cheerleaders and everything. It was really <laughs> cool. And, you know, we all played in it and had a great time. And, and I was out there on the mound pitching and I did pretty good. I It was five inning, five inning games. And I pitched three innings and then he let one of the other Japanese kids come in there and pitch and play. What's your best pitch? Well, I think they clocked my fastball, uh, even out there not having played in all those years. I think I was throwing like 87, 88 then. Holy cow,
1: man! Wow.
0: I mean, I, you know, and I, I had a, still had a curveball, and I could throw a knuckleball, and yeah. And anyways, they they beat us like five to three, I think. Cause like I said, we only played five innings. That was in the second game. I can't even remember what the first game was. But if you go on YouTube, and I don't know if it's in, if it's in Japanese writing or not, or how you would put it in there. You might put in there Japanese uh, All-Japan Charity Baseball Game, or something like that. And I guarantee you that it's on there somewhere that it'll pop up and show you some Did you throw the knuckleball?
2: Did you throw the knuckleball? I just want to see that. I
0: threw it a couple times. I sure did.
1: (laughs) That's awesome. That is awesome. I
2: love that pitch, man. Yeah. And and honestly, man, like in uh, Little League, I I played a lot of baseball. And I was one of the first kids at my age level, which would have been about, I don't know, 12 or something like that. I was the first one to be, uh, because I wasn't fast. I wasn't really fast, but I could throw junk. And uh, Mm -hmm. I, I threw a lot of junk. And uh, mm-hmm. I could throw a curveball that I, I had one that I could throw at you and it would curve in for a strike. And then I had the other one that would just dump down on the floor. And
0: yeah, <laughs> I, 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 I always love baseball. And, you know, I regretted that I didn't couldn't have, have, have took it further because I truly believe I had the ability to go, to go pretty far in baseball.
1: Sounds yeah. like it. Yeah. yeah. Sounds like it. Man. Absolutely.
0: As a matter of fact, I throw this quick story. In. When I yeah. was, uh, I, when I had cracked my ankle and was healing up from that, I went to work for this railroad company. We were out in, in, uh, orange Texas, which is right on the border of Louisiana and Texas. And mm-hmm. they were having a tryout up in Tyler, Texas, uh, which is where me and all said we were from uh, uh, uh and i went up there one weekend it was a three-day thing and there were like a hundred guys up there and i was 25 six seven years old at this time and all these you know like 17 18 19 year olds 20 year olds or whatever yeah. and i don't know how many there were but there was probably at least 75 or 100 kids out there, you know, just having scouts look at them and stuff. Mm-hmm. And anyway, I got out there and, you know, I pitched a little, a little bit and all, and they clocked my fastball then at 93. Damn. Wow. wow. And that's, you know, that's a major league arm. Yeah, yeah it absolutely. is. Yeah. I mean, you uh, would it's not real yeah. fast, but I, I mean, it's fast enough, you know. Yeah. Hell yes. If you have control, but, but, and you throw that but, fast. And I made get... it down to like the last fifteen guys that they even talked to, and, and they wanted me to go into a AAA uh, team down in somewhere in top. It seemed like it was Corpus Christi or somewhere, and they were going to put me down there on that AAA. Uh, I mean, that yeah, not AAA, but single A uh, minor league team, and even at my age, and uh, but I said. You know, but they told me, you know, well, you know, you're not gonna make but about eight hundred dollars a month down there on the, mm. on the, you know, and, and so and I said, well, you know, hell, I can make more m- money in that doing what I'm doing with this railroad company, and 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 I know I can make more than that when I start back wrestling. So I never yeah. did go down there, you know, and and start with that. Uh, that's pretty cool, with man. That, yeah, that's really and, cool. Yeah. But back to Japan, you know, I I just. The people, like I said, they, they took to me for some reason. And I think the reason was because they could see, even though I was half the time getting my ass beat, <laughs> I was fighting and yeah. I was giving it a hundred percent and I wasn't out there throwing, doing stuff that looked bad and they could see through and they respected me for that. Plus the fact that, you know, be being on nationwide TV and them charity baseball games didn't hurt. And yeah, yeah. I don't know. And being tagged up with Stan a lot. And then, you know, one year they had me and Dick Slater tagged up together in the, in that yearly tag team tournament they held every year. And, um, and then I was tagged up with Billy for a year or two. Man, tell Uh, me, this is what I want to hear. I
2: told you this earlier. I want to hear the biggest rib you ever pulled or, or even the best rib ever pulled on you or both.
0: Oh my God! Um, <laughs> well, you know, um, and this is the truth. I uh, I never really. I don't know if it's the way I carried myself in the dressing room, or you know, I've always been a personal guy, and I've always made friends easy, and I. Yeah. But you know, in the wrestling business, sometimes I don't matter. You still gonna get rid but right, <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. But but I, I cannot really really think of any you know vicious rib anyone ever pulled on me or 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 any kind of they pretty much just i mean all the years and i counted tried to count it up one time and i think i had close to seven thousand matches over my 40 year career and you know during all that time I, i just i just always got along i never had a loud word that I can really remember. Yeah. Well, I might've raised my voice a couple of times <laughs> here and there, but nothing, <laughs> you know, n- never any blows thrown or anything, but it uh, was funny. Rib was he Sas Calhoun on the tour going over there to Japan and, 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 you know, all he did was eat. And right. right. And so, uh, I think it might've been, um, gosh, uh, it was on the, it was on the second tour, so it wasn't the first tour. It was on the second tour, and I can't remember exactly it, who it was. But anyway, they said we had a bunch of Little Debbie, uh, them Little Debbie cakes, and uh, they stuffed one of them Little Debbie cakes full of x lacs and took them up there and laid the box, the box of them. Uh, and, hey, they had to put A-Stacks in the first class because it's so big. Uh-huh. And so they, so they gave you that box of Little Debbie's. And I he probably eat every one of them in there. Wow! And then after about an hour or so, you know, we were sitting back in business class. That's back when they still had business class, first class, business class, then <laughs> right. coach.
3: And yeah.
0: Baba always <laughs> flew us ever either first class or business class. But anyway, haystacks got up and and in, in he couldn't sit in the bathroom. Yeah, I guess he was too big. To get even in the first class bathroom, and he had his shit. Oh man! And so you know, he kept saying, "We could hear him back Ben's class." I gotta go. I gotta go, and they didn't know what to do because they couldn't get him in the in the bathroom up in first class. He wouldn't fit. And so what they what they finally had to do was get in that little elevator thing that they bring stuff up in, and one of one of the flight attendants had to get in there and go down in the cargo area and bring back a big mail sack, and they had to pull all the curtains to the galleys closed and try to block off as much as they could and got a bucket and set it there and and, and, and set it in the middle of that mail sack and and hashtag sit down on that bucket and shit, and I mean... You could smell it all through uh, the oh plane. My god. Oh, my god! And I'm talking about this <laughs> is, is one of these hilarious. big 747, you know, planes. And everybody was, yeah. like, gagging. and Oh, my god oh, I get You know, it. like a big fog was going through the plane. And, uh, and uh, it was horrible. Oh and my we god. were just, you know, we were just laughing. About it there, and it was funny, but it wasn't funny because it stuck so damn bad. Yeah, <laughs> but we oh, never had nobody ever told him what we did, and so I don't know if he ever found out or not. But that was one yeah. rib. that was <laughs> kind of a vicious rib. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and there's several, you know, a lot of little that, that sounds, little that, things be, like we used to. Uh, they, used, they used to super glue Sam Houston's cowboy hat, put super glue around. Round it when he'd put it on and go out in the ring and stuff, he'd try to take it off and it'd be stuck all to his hair and stuff. Oh my god. You <laughs> know, he, he we used to do that with black bar too. And that was funny, but um <laughs> you know, just little 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 stuff like that. And, That's the stuff I'm looking for, and, man.
2: That's hilarious, man. man. <laughs> just yeah. the way
0: did back then. And oh. I remember when Dusty sent us out there to Kansas City for those for that year almost out there in, uh, what they call it territory? Um, it wasn't Tri-State. It was Central, Central State. Central State uh, is what it's called. It. And they sent a crew of us, Baby Doll and 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 uh, Sam and me and Gene Ligon and and uh, Todd Champion and I don't know. There was George South. There was a bunch of us that went out there. And we starved to death, but George but South. anyway, um, uh, Rocky King was with us out there. And we got some girl from the matches and brought her home. And so, you know, so we got her up in, in the hotel room. And, of course, she was <laughs> doing us all favors and stuff. And Oh, Lord. So, so Rocky King come in there. And 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 I don't know if, you, if y'all have ever, anybody ever told you about Rocky. He's a great guy. He used to drive a lot for Ricky and Robert. Making yeah. road trips and stuff because they they'd let make him drive where they wouldn't have to. But anyway, Rocky had a had a penis that when he stood up <laughs> it would hang down to his knee. Oh my god! <laughs> I mean, I ain't, I ain't shitting you. It, 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 the thing had to be at least a foot long, probably fourteen or fifteen. <laughs> and, and, and Rocky and he come in the hotel room with him that girl in there. And, and he pulled his pants off, and she took one look at him and his dick and said, you are not going to put that thing in me. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so he was trying to, you know, rib her in, oh, come on. Let you know, she said, hell no. She got up and grabbed her clothes and ran out of there. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> but anyway, and then one time, Buddy Landell used to love to call up prostitutes all the time. Buddy, I love Buddy. I love Buddy. Yeah, well, when Buddy would get coked up and be on a bench for two or three days, he loved calling yeah. them prostitutes and, and yeah. bring them over to my. Uh, well, I was staying in a house with another guy. I wasn't a wrestler. He was just a just a regular dude. did he? Yeah. Let me. But he, Buddy, used to love to come over there and bring us. Bring his prostitutes and, and I'd let him stay and use my room and stuff. So and all the boys knew it and also. So we told him we had this special special prostitute and she was just the most beautiful thing you ever seen in your life. And she was we were gonna have him it was his birthday or something's coming up. And we were gonna have him a special surprise come over and we had a party over there that night. And so anyway, we got it all set up and fixed up, and and so we found about a three hundred or four hundred pound black girl on the streets in Charlotte, and we all paid her about fifty bucks a piece to come over there and, and wait in the bedroom for Buddy to come in there, and meet her, and and so so Buddy Buddy comes up over there, all cocky and and laughing to him. wiping the damn powder off his nose and stuff. And, uh, you know, he goes, he goes back in the, and we hid her in the closet. And so he goes back in the bedroom and we tell him, well, okay, the girl, the girl's coming. She's going to be here. She's going to be here and she's coming. (laughs) And so we went, we went in there and we closed the door Uh and locked it. And we put, put the, them, uh, them, things that you put in doors to keep them from opening, opening up. We put about five of them down there where he couldn't open the door and get out of there and lock the windows down. And we told that, we, that that girl to wait about five minutes when she heard some noises in there and then come out the bus side of that closet and, and just run and jump on him in the bed. And so we waited and, and, we, and we heard a big Holler and scream and oh my God, what the hell! And, and get out of here, you big dip <laughs> yeah, And she and then he got up and started beating and trying to get out of the room and couldn't. And she was grabbing him and swinging him back on the bed, saying, "No, nah, honey, you've been you, you mine and all that kind of stuff." Oh, and he God. and finally, after about ten minutes, we. We opened the door back up and he was just uh, white as a sheik in there.
3: <laughs> that is funny
0: as <laughs> fuck. It was uh, it was pretty <laughs> funny. I mean, uh, Bobby and uh, Eden and Dennis and Arn and all of us were in on that one. Oh my god, oh, that's
2: man. funny.
3: That is
0: had great times also, with
2: me too. You know, remember, Bobby is uh is Jamie's brother-in-law and and his sister and all that kind of stuff. And had good yeah, times. I do. With that. Bobby is a great guy, man. Here's what oh, I God, ask Bobby. You. Bobby was the best. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. What a great guy. I
0: man. never, heard, I never heard, I never heard Bobby raise his voice one time. The whole nope. six years I worked around him up there in Crockettland. Yeah. Let me ask you this, man. Because we're getting up on time here, and I don't
2: want to... I, I, I'm going to have you back for a number two, if you're good with it. But uh, I want to ask you this. And I ask everybody this, and I hate it when people ask me this. Because I, I can't... I just can't t- stay. who. Best match you ever had.
0: Oh, my God. Um, yeah, that's a hard question. The best, the best match I ever had. Well... That's a tough question, I know. It would have to be, although I think I had many really three or four star matches, you know, in my in my day of all the people I was blessed to be able to work with. But one match that that always comes up as actually not only being a great match, toughest and most hardest to make it through in match was me and Stan, and this was my around my third or fourth tour, I can't remember. Me and Stan wrestled Genrico Tenru and I, I think it's pronounced his name Ash Ashira or Ashura mm-hmm. Hara, who was a world class class rugby player before yeah. he turned pro wrestler. We yeah. had a championship tag team match between me and Stan and and Tenryu. Who, by the way, Tenru ended up being one of my best friends ever over there. Really? There's another, another story there I could tell. But uh, yeah. anyway, and they were both tough as nails and, and you know, and worked the total Japanese style. And yeah. so everything was in there. And so anyway, uh, wrestling them for the Japan World Tag Team title belts mm-hmm. was I think one of my proudest moments is awesome working working in in Japan and working that particular match because and I also had some great matches with Jumbo Bosaruda, who I think was just a fantastic wrestler um, yeah. but um and I you know me and Stan had some good matches with Doc and Terry too over there. oh um, I bet I bet matter of fact, there's a really good match with me and I think Stan. And uh, Tracy Smothers against Tracy uh, against uh, uh, Mizawa, Kawada, and either Kakushi or Kabashi. One, three, two—I can't remember. But it's a—it was a great match. It's on YouTube. And Tracy, um, that uh, I rode up and down
2: the roads with, and uh, he taught me a lot. But he's just such a funny fucker, man. Just. Oh, Lord, the way he would freak out every now and then and stuff like that. Me and w- I talk to uh, Dirty White Boy every now and then. Well, I don't say every now and then, but probably three times a week. Uh, Tony Anthony. But uh, we talk about Tracy and we laugh and stuff like that. And, yeah, Tracy was such a good well, guy. Tracy man.
0: was great. Yeah.
2: Yes, he was. Yes, he was. Really?
0: And, you know, when Tracy come over there, that was his first tour. And I helped him, man. I told him. Uh, you know, every match we'd come up and, and no matter if it was somebody, him wrestling somebody, an, another one of the Japanese or us together in a tag or whatever it was, I would always tell him what to expect from whoever it was. He was wrestling over there, but he didn't know, yeah, yeah. you know, and, and I would say, okay, Tracy tonight, you got it pretty easy. You're wrestling. So so. they're against, you know, Kawada or Mizawa or somebody you got to really be able to go okay joel thank you and i did the same thing with dustin rhodes when he come over there his first tour tour when he was 19 years old and he's always thanked me for helping him when he come over there his first you've tour. been but, uh, uh, obviously a integral
2: part in a lot of people's uh careers and stuff man joel i mean i really i mean everything i've seen about you i look up to you man i, I just want to thank you for uh you know, coming on the show, man. I really do. yes,
3: absolutely,
0: yeah. Well I, well, I thank you guys for having me. You know, and you know, I like I like doing these things. Like I said, I hadn't done one in a while, but you know, once I get you guys get to ask asking questions, or, and I get to thinking back, man, th- um, things just start popping in my head, and I can yeah. just remember. You know, and and it's you know, it was I never was no big superstar or nothing, you know, but. I'm really proud of my body of work in, in professional wrestling and, and, you know, I had, you know, my share of pushes, I guess you could say, I but I never, you know, you know, you know, I never made the big money, but I made and kept the job for over 30 years in the business and the, and I'm very proud of that. Let me say this
2: to you, man. I mean, even though you say that, uh, I, I'm kind of in the same boat with you. Like, I, I've I've done a lot of cool things. Uh, never made a boatload of money, but I respect the fact that my peers respect me and things like that. And I think yours do too. Uh, um, and and I do. I respect you, man. I, I think you're a, an incredible worker. Uh, you know the Japan thing, all that. I, I I respect the shit out of you, man. I I just want you to know that.
0: Well, you know, I I thank you very much for that, and, and it really humbles me when I hear people that do give me accolades and and do re- respect some of the things I did. It, it, you know, it makes you feel good because you know I I really worked worked hard as I, I know you did, and I'm you know, and people you know they can they. Unless you've done it and lived it, then they don't really know, and yeah, and it's hard for people to relate. And and you know, and I'm just so happy that I still have. I've had so many thousands of people pray for me since I've had this stroke and send me messages and letters. Yeah, and and, and that's another thing, man. If you don't if you don't
2: mind, uh, quickly the the story that you told me when I me and you talked on the phone. If if you're okay with that, can you tell
0: me about like what happened and everything? Well, I just know that I must have had the stroke in my sleep because yeah. I woke up just regular like I did every morning in my apartment, and and I and I didn't sense anything wrong there to begin with when I just opened my eyes there in bed, and but when I went to move and. And to you know, put my feet over on the floor to get up to go to the bathroom. You know, I I noticed that my arm first was like I couldn't feel it, and it was like you know when you when your hand or your arm or something goes to sleep, and right. you have to kind of shake it and move it around to wake it up. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, that's what you know. I tried to do to start with with my arm, and but I couldn't even shake it. I couldn't even pick it up to, you know, to try to get the feeling to come back into it. So so I didn't know what was going on. And then when I tried to move my leg over and put it on the floor to get up, you know, it was dead, too. And that was all the left. So I I took my my good hand, arm, hand, my right hand. I reached over and I grabbed my leg and I pulled it over and put it on the floor. And I said, well, let me stand up. And I went to try to stand up and my leg just buckled on me and I fell kind of plop set, you know, on the floor there. And I, and I was just thinking, my God, what, what the hell? And, and during the night I had to, I had fell, fallen asleep with the phone, you know, beside my pillow there in the bed with me. And somewhere during the night, I knocked the pillow. I mean, my phone behind my bed on the floor, it fell behind my bed and and so I'm, I'm, i laying there on the floor. And so I laid all the way down and, and looked under the bed and it was dark and I couldn't see under there or my phone. And cause I was trying to, you know, call for some help and, and I couldn't get it and I couldn't see it and I didn't have a flashlight or nothing handy to grab, to try to look and see. And, and so, so I sat there on that floor from so seven thirty that morning. So about 9.30 that night. Oh, shit. And and I had to, I finally, there was a Gatorade jar sitting up on on my dresser, and I grabbed it, and I peed in it. And and finally, I grabbed a, I saw my golf clubs were sitting over there leaning against the closet, and I I crawled, kind of got myself over there and and grabbed an iron out of my golf club bag, and I started fishing under my bed, for my phone, and it took me like three hours of that before I finally Damn. found found where the because even stretching my arm on the bed, I'd a big king size bed. And reaching me with a golf club, I couldn't somehow couldn't get that phone. But I finally, about nine o'clock that night, got my phone out under that bed Damn. and called my sister who lived in town here and told her. I said, you know, all I could say was. I didn't even call nine no one one. I just called her. I said because I lived in a garage apartment behind my parents' house. They had a yeah. big nice house and a with a garage apartment behind her. And I stayed gone on the road for so many years that I had came home back to my hometown here, and I wanted to be around them to help them do right. the things that they needed help in doing. Anyway, long story short, <laughs> I finally got the phone fished over there to me. And called my sister and told her, I said, Jennifer, something's wrong. I'm paralyzed. I can't, I can't Mm. move my left side and come over here and get my mom, get my mom and dad up and y'all come over to the apartment and see about me. And, and so she did, she came over there and got them up and, and they come over there and I had locked the door Mm. and it's about 15 steps to get up to my apartment and, and my dad called me and said, well, you can't come down and unlock the door. And I said, no he said, what, you can't get out here? I said, no, dad, I can't. So they had to take the hedges out and take the door off. And and then her, him and my sister come up them steps. And my dad got up to the top of the steps. And he turned around and took one look at me and said, son, you've had a stroke. Damn. He called 911. And they come out there and got me and took me to the hospital here in town. And they did a. Cascan and all that stuff, and said confirmed that I had had a massive stroke, and they put me in Amos and took me from here to Emory Hospital in Atlanta, and Emory's one of the top hospitals in the country. And uh, you know, in Amos with the siren blaring and everything, and I was in ICU for like three and a half weeks, and then Mm. I think I stayed there about two months, and before they moved me to another rehab facility. But anyway, yeah, it, and it, that was four years ago, and I've been still to this day working and trying to get better with my walk. That's my main thing is I want to get my walking better, but it's not easy. Yeah. Let me tell you, when you're dealing with one good arm and and really a half leg, and you don't nothing's easy. Yeah. <laughs> I imagine, man. You know, when I have to transfer back and forth, forth from my wheelchair or my electric wheelchair to my to the bed or to the yeah. toilet, Or I don't ask nobody coming come in to help me. You know, I still do it by myself, even here. Yeah. But, you know, it's still not easy. And, yeah, I believe it. And, you know, it's just, man, it's just, you know, I, it's just my life was just stolen away from me in the blink of an eye in my sleep, you know. Mm, I mean, yeah. it's, it's strange. Because all those years wrestling, you know, I never to this day have had a surgery or anything, all those bumps over all those years. And I attribute that to having good fun, being teached good fundamentals when I was in my training by Lars. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I believe that too, man. I believe that too.
0: And 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 I knew my limitations.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I believe that man. And, and I just want you to know that, uh, man, I, I appreciate you and, uh, everything you did. I've watched you since I was a kid and, uh, you know, me and you talked on the side and, you know, I told you some of my stuff and all that kind of thing or whatever. Uh, uh, man, I respect the shit out of you. And, uh, Thank you so much for coming on here and just talking, and even talking about that. I oh, know that's probably hard to do or whatever, but I appreciate it, Joel. I really do. Yeah, thank you so much.
0: Oh, Jim and Wolf, I appreciate you guys. I appreciate that. There's guys like you that that will, you know, that will that has a show where you have, you know, real people that that lived in the time in the era of the, you know, so-called glory years of the old, kind of the old school type, you know, wrestling guy. And I enjoy talking about it because, you know, I was really lucky to be in some good places through some good times and you know i was with crockett at, at, right there at, with the birth of the four horsemen you know yeah. the rock and roll midnight feud when all i was in the middle of all of that when all that started up so yeah you know not not to mention in all japan when you know when Kabashi was coming up and kawada and Tawley and mazawa and being around all that and that and being, you know, with Doc and Terry and all the great tag teams from all over that came in and worked for Baba, being able to be and live through all that, I mean, it's just a blessing. And and yeah. I had a – it was a hell of a ride, and I'll never forget it. Absolutely. <laughs> but anytime, anytime you guys want me back on, just give me a call or let me know, and I'll Same. be glad to – Yeah. To, run my mouth for another hour or so. Thank you. Let
2: me tell you something, man. I'm going to call you when we ain't recording because I respect you that much. Uh, I will call you and we'll just talk and just bullshit. Uh, You know what I mean? Uh, I really respect you and uh, thank you so much for coming on here and talking about this, man. It's it's been awesome. It's been
0: absolutely awesome. Well, okay. And hey, call me anytime, man. I, I get lonely here sometimes, and I I love talking to the boys. Yeah, just call me anytime you want, and you know, and that'd be great. So, uh, will I? So this thing will drop uh, next week sometime
1: on Monday. Uh, the Monday. Yeah. We'll send you the links to it. Yeah. Okay. That'd be great I, yeah,
0: yeah, I'd like to hear it. <laughs> Yeah,
1: we'll get it out there. Yeah, for sure. Cool. I'd
0: like I'd like to see if I how much I embarrass myself. But anyway, oh no, <laughs> no, uh,
1: no.
2: you won't. I promise you you're gonna get uh we we get a lot of downloads. Uh we we stay up in the top. And the only people that are above us are like Jeff and Arn and all the guys got sponsors. We don't have sponsors, but we do good. We, we get a lot of downloads, thousands and thousands of downloads. And
0: Well, I'm yeah. sure that y'all do do well because, you know, what I like about when I do do these things is the people that conduct the interviews be informed and knowledgeable about, you know, about who they have on and you yeah. know little you know things about their career where they just they know things to ask and and it makes it easier for for me to do the interview and for you know it's just it's just and a smart thing for you guys to do to be up on whoever you have having on
1: yes sir absolutely. yes sir yeah. absolutely
0: but i'm sure you guys know that but anyway thank you thank you sir for having me and it was my pleasure and i look forward to talking to you guys again sometimes hey
3: Sounds i'm gonna great. talk
2: to you on the side though for real uh it's wolfie here and i'm gonna talk
0: to you on the side man well no problem man warren you give me a call anytime brother i'm right here yes sir yes All sir
1: right. well thank you so much we'll talk to you soon i promise
0: okay y'all take care god bless thank you brother All right,
2: Jimmy. So when we come back, uh, we're going to do Ask Wolfie D Anything.
1: DJ, hit that music. All right, we are back with Ask Wolfie Anything. And first off, man, the outlaw, Joel Deaton, Thunderfoot himself, was awesome. How would you yeah. like that, man? Seriously. Yeah, it was
2: great, man. It's a great interview. Great guy. Uh and you know, usually we don't go that long, but uh we did. I, I let it roll this time.
1: <laughs> yeah, very cool. Very cool. Very and, and 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 you know what, man? I feel like he has a million more stories. That's just oh, yeah. 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 I can't wait to You know, we'll get him on for part 2. I feel like that's coming as soon as possible. So, right um, but of course, today we always have to finish with a little bit of Ask Wolfie D Anything. And the very first thing that we're going to talk about, this is Alex Pierce on Facebook. And he asks, what current female wrestler would you want to team up with? And why is it Shotzi? And he <laughs> then goes to post a five-minute video of her howling like a wolf. I'm not joking. So I don't uh, think it's probably no, Shotzi, right? No, I, I'd go for Rhea. <laughs> of course, of course.
3: Yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah, but no, yeah. I I, I, have, I don't think I've seen the other girl word that he's talking about. Uh, so yeah. I can't really put judgment on that one. But I mean, the girls division is in, is so talented uh, these days, you know, you got to get yeah. at least I hate
1: women's wrestling. Oh, man, totally. It, it's uh, a yeah. it's not the same. You had some of the few jewels like Leilani Kai and Sherry Martell and some of those girls that could really work, the you know. Bomb angels. Yeah, the jumping Bomb Angels and that <laughs> stuff. But honestly, women's wrestling has come so far. It, oh, yeah. it really yeah. is something special. And, dude, I can totally see Slash and Rhea Ripley working out oh, really yeah. well. Yeah, dude. that would be a, a Vicious and Delicious or something, you know what I mean? <laughs> That's cool. That's <laughs> yeah, so, something to that effect or whatever. Yeah. But anyway, uh-huh. man, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. But yeah, I, I think the, the Shotzi, I think, was solely because she was howling like a wolf. She has green hair. She's kind of punk rockish. She comes out yeah. in a tank or something. Uh-huh. And uh, anyway. Okay. So the next one is from our good buddy Ben Martin from Facebook, Ben Martin88 <laughs> on Twitter. You got to support the Ben Martin. But anyway, when it comes down to it, it says Who did you look forward to working slash learning from in the ring that ended up a disappointment? Dang. Um, <laughs> who are you looking to tear down today, Wolfie? Uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that was a disappointment.
2: Man, I'm gonna be honest, man. I just don't think that uh, I've worked with anybody who was a, a huge disappointment or a letdown. Um, now, I did say that you know Brad uh, Brad Armstrong and I had a had a match. Right. I thought it, it just. It was our first one. I thought the chemistry was just a hair off, but it was still good. Like I said, it was good, but I wouldn't say let down would be the fucking word for it. Um, Man. Oh, um, well, you know And I've always talked about? We talked about it with Diva and I. It wasn't that I was gonna learn from them really, but I was disappointed in the, the way the match went as far as, you know, us being the baby faces and all that stuff. But yeah, man, it's hard to say that that I got in the ring with somebody that was you know, I was anticipating being really good and and it turned out to not be. I I do not recall that ever happening.
1: Okay, well, that's awesome, man. I mean, that's really all you can ask for. I was just curious if maybe if there was something that happened that caused it to not be great beyond your... Well, like, I'm yeah. Dusty, the match with Dusty that I had, and then the reason it
2: was... You know, not what I wanted it to be. I guess that's probably my answer there. I forgot about that one, but it was because the weather was bad. They almost canceled the show. There was hardly anybody there, but it was the, you know, show must go on type of deal. And they wanted to give, uh, you know, the people that did come out in the snow <laughs> a bit of a show there. So, it, you know, I'd say that match probably could have been a, a lot better. Um, but we were just trying to get
1: in and out and get home safe. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, yeah, dude, you'd think like anytime you can work dusty roads, that's like a, a career yeah. highlight, you know, and yeah. those outstanding circumstances or whatever they're called, you know, yeah. like those things can lead. I, I mean, I, I've been in situations to where, you know, like I expected more and it was just a big letdown, but it was beyond anyone's control. You know what I mean? Right. And <laughs> that stuff just happens in life, right? So yeah, for sure. Just just so happens it worked out with you and Dusty Rhodes. So yeah. anyway, yeah. And so that was a great question. Thank you, Ben. I appreciate that answer, Wolfie. So the next one is actually from Ben as well. And y'all listeners out there, Start bringing us some more questions, man. You know, Ben's Ben's consistent. We love it. So Ben's got an, another question. And this one's actually a really interesting question. He says this. He says, seriously, though, and he's just daydreaming here recently, and he thought about this angle. Mm-hmm. If Smoky Mountain makes it into 1996, bringing the Smoky Mountain versus USWA feud to East Tennessee, but... With Bill Dundee reinstigating the whole thing on Randy Hale's behalf, showing mm-hmm. the Memphis footage, but Bill spinning it, and Bob Armstrong having to explain what happened, then yeah. weaving the story to make the Memphis end look like they started it. Yeah, just think Christmas chaos in Knoxville. Dundee shows up acting all crazy. Wanting to talk to Armstrong, he gets blowed off because Bob and the boys are wrestling Carnet's militia in the main event, which was the plan in real life. Then, first TV tapings of the year, Dundee and Randy show up and start messing with everyone. Eventually, if it, if they cool off, bring in PG, Doug Gilbert, Brian Christopher later, but turn Tommy Rich on the militia and the regular crew. Granted, it's a bit of a hot shotting, but I think it's with all the, the, those minds involved, it could have worked. <laughs> oh yeah
2: i've said from uh for a long time i wish that we could have uh took it there you know and uh i mean that's there's not a lot of question there for me i don't think but i mean that's a a nice job of booking <laughs> yeah that's yeah that's kind of the yeah, point yeah. yeah yeah i mean it sounds good to me let's do it <laughs> <laughs> let's do it no, thank you. who's got yeah, the time machine late uh, right. uh, yeah man, <laughs> i i always said that you've heard me say that that uh, i wish we could have took it there and you know i Seem to think. I mean, they. You know, the boys that were there know, like white boy name. The the territory, I guess, was down. Their their right. their, their houses were down. I think it could have helped. I don't. You
1: know, I keep saying it would save. It would have saved it, but I don't know for sure. You know, dude. I mean, what it did for USWA, it could have right. easily done for Smoky Mountain. Yeah. I mean, I, y'all I mean. were in a similar situation. You yeah. know, and. It just so happened USWA lasted a few years longer than, than Smokey yeah. Mountain. But man, I mean, honestly, there could have been an even uh, combination of two since so many guys worked in both. I mean, yeah. where and I know it kinda happened certainly in some ways if some guys didn't go to the WWF after yeah. after it closed. But anyway, I I like it. I think Ben's what ifs are always fun. So yeah. I, that's I, why I kinda posted I it. it. Wanted to bring it to you. So yeah. Pretty cool, man. Yeah, Which well, Ben. <laughs> yeah, good job, Ben. Yeah, thank you. Well, all right. That's all I got, brother. Three questions well, well, and we're out. Joel Deaton. Happy yeah. New Year. Yeah, happy New Year's. And,
2: uh, and once again, we appreciate everybody tuning in. And uh, we'll holler
1: back at you next week. Yeah. Who we got, nobody knows, but it'll yeah. be good. All nobody right. Even, man. Happy <laughs> New Year. <laughs> And now, a word from our sponsor. Ladies and gentlemen,
4: welcome to Give Me Back My Pro Wrestling, the podcast that's based on the old school, but can still help you find the good stuff from today. Jimmy Street and the plastic chic, Jared, are the undisputed tag team champions of the wrestling podcast world. From thought provoking topics to superstar interviews to action figure expertise. This team does it all. And all they ask is give me back my pro wrestling. Every other Thursday, wherever you listen to podcasts.
5: Join me, Gene Jackson, for the Jackson Interaction Podcast, where I'll be doing one on one interviews with people from the world of professional wrestling as well as stand up comedy. You can get them anywhere podcasts are available in both video and audio form, but you can find them all at GeneJacksonPod.com. That was another great episode. Hey, Wolfie, tell them where they can find you on social media. Jimmy, they can find me in the club, bottle full of bub. I'm just kidding. Uh, they can find me on Facebook. Uh, my personal page is Warren Wolf, W L I'm on Instagram, at WarrenWolf13. You can always find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube, at Live Wolfie D. Here's the thing. Wolfie always has offers for his autographed photos. He has a selection of some awesome photos from throughout his career that he will autograph and personalize way. Anyway That you want him to Just contact him Either directly At his personal Facebook page Or through any one Of our other pages And we'll make sure You get in contact Directly with Wolfie Get those photos Right Wolfie Yeah I've got some Good stuff on there You know to help With the podcast Folks if you can't Get out to a show To meet Wolfie D There's nothing like that Especially for the fans Of PG-13 and Wolfie D And before we go You can always find me Your host Jimmy Street, At James Rock Street On Twitter Instagram and YouTube And hey Jimmy Before we go real quick I just want to add in there uh from the bottom of my heart i really appreciate first of all the work you've done for this podcast you have worked your butt off secondly the people that are liking the page beyond that even more is the people that are listening and we really appreciate that yeah and remember guys the podcast drops a new episode every monday at noon and our past episodes are streaming now on demand on all major podcast formats thanks again i got a cat for you don't, got a cat for you
2: don't.
4: i got a cat you and here we go. The original white boy that came out sagging, not bragging. Don't be hating, cause we're spitting the truth. Still loving in color. don't rush your mother. Utilize a hubcap. Unlike any other. Back in the day. I was N-O-D, and I was P to the G, plus the one and the three, in case you forgot, they call me Wolfie D, been cloned and copied so many times, title is taking credit for what is mine, you know who you are, without me name dropping, this is first white boy coming out hip hop been doing it like this since 92, laid low for a while and you thought I was three, listen real close to the. This shit's so sick, it makes your ears get infected. Bad skills, no that. that is no one grand. Cause we're more folks and old people. Not here to play games, so you better be mad. You don't like me so what? I really don't care. Like time I keep ticking and I can't be stopped. You suck a step to the side unless you wanna get dropped. When my finish I'll straight knock you out. Please allow me to tell you what it's all about. I'm gonna wind it up, then I'm driving it home. It's Rupi D, baby. Huh. I got a, got a cap for your dome. You got a cap for your dome. You got a cap for your dome. You got a cap for your dome.
1: This has been a James Rock Street production.